God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this third Sunday in Lent, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You ever think about where all your trash and waste goes? Well, uh, okay, maybe some of you, maybe some of you don't, because in the modern world we have services that take care of that for us, right? They take it from our homes, out of sight, out of mind. But is it really out of sight, out of mind? Where does it all go? According to the National Wildlife Association, and these figures I found are a few years old now, each week in the United States we generate 4 million tons of trash. Goes up another 1 million tons each holiday because of the, you know, all the extra packaging associated with gifts and food. For example, who here eats everything on their Thanksgiving Day dinner plate? A, I know, a few of you? Okay. You know, I mean, most of us get full before the plate's empty, right? So if each person throws away just one bite of turkey, that comes out to about 8.1 million pounds of edible turkey across the entire United States that goes in the trash can or down the disposal. One bite of stuffing eats a equals about the same amount of million pounds of stuffing wasted. And then, of course, there's all the stuff that goes into the, you know, that doesn't decompose in the landfills or the sewage treatment centers of America, like paper and plastic and glass. In New York City alone, after New, uh, New Year's Day, the sanitation department removes up to 42 tons of garbage on top of what they normally deal with. We know the stuff goes in the ground somewhere. You know, landfills only scratch the surface of the earth's crust, you know, when you consider how thick it is. And in our lifetimes, there's going to be plenty of land to bury our trash in, but it still doesn't address the problem of waste. No wonder there are people that are so concerned about it, they feel called to dedicate their entire working lives solving the problems of waste and how to deal with it, you know, its impact on the environment. Even here at our church, we're trying to get better with, you know, and not generate too much waste after events in which we serve a large amount of food. But it's not just environmentally conscious people who are bothered by waste. God is too. God does not want wasted fruit either. And I think you already know the kind of fruit I mean is not the kind you eat. It's the fruit of good works. Brought about by faith in Jesus Christ. God doesn't want wasted fruit and he doesn't want wasted lives either. People wasted. God's been a little edgy lately, hasn't he? I mean, last Sunday we heard about Jesus being confrontational with people. Last Wednesday, we heard about how he got lippy with the high priest and socked in the mouth for it. He's a God who's got something to say about sin and also a man who's got flesh to take a beating. In our reading today from Luke, he's no less confrontational here than he is elsewhere, but he's got a good reason to be. He wants people to bear fruit and not go to waste and be lost forever. The parable of the fig tree 
backs up what he says a moment before when he calls people to turn and repent or else they'll die. But he goes a little further and he softens the confrontational blow of the law with comforting news that God will be patient. A little while longer, he'll be patient. He's going to be patient with a community of people that isn't yielding much fruit, if any at all, from unrepentant hearts. I want to call your attention to Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. So pick up those pew Bibles that you got in front of you, in the pew in front of you, and turn to page 888. 888. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. John the baptizer preaches repentance to the people. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay. God has given his people prophets like John the Baptist and signs to warn them from the wrath to come. It's not like God keeps these things a secret from people and surprises them with his judgment and wrath. Now let's look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4, page 975. Page 975, Romans 2, verse 4. Paul says, Or do you not despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And chapter 3, verse 25 through 26. Christ, whom God set forth to be a propitiation, that is, appeasing an angry God with a sacrifice that is pleasing to him and causes him to settle down and chill out a little bit, hold back his wrath. A propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance, his patient self-control, his restraint and tolerance. God has passed over the sins that were previously committed and so forth. Then look at 2 Peter 3, verse 9 on page 1053. Page 1053, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. I like this one. The Lord is not slacking. Do you like that word? He's not slacking concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. My friends, You put all this together, and it shows us God is patient. He suffers a long time waiting for people to repent before they are cut down, you know, lost without hope forever, believing in Him and being saved. The question for us today is, how many people, or who in this town, this city, or in our lives, will bear fruit before destruction in the final judgment that is to come? How many? Who will it be? Perhaps this is a good moment then for my shameless plug 
to attend my discussion tonight in the Connect Center at 6 p.m., where you and I may perhaps start to work together in a way we haven't before, bearing much fruit of the Spirit, God willing. But back to the parable. Jesus doesn't just make up this thing about the fig tree and the vineyard out of nowhere. It has an ancient meaning that means something to us today. We might understand more if we look at it. See, the the vineyard and the fig tree are common Old Testament metaphors for Israel. And Jesus uses this metaphor for the crowds gathered around him and the disciples. And let's always remember that Jesus' words are for all people through all time, even though they may have had particular importance to the people that were there and hearing him in person. The people of Israel have been a stubborn, hard-hearted people, not believing the Messiah had come, wanting to stick with their old ways and their old laws, and are not bearing any fruit. Except for one, maybe, you know, namely John the Baptist, but nevertheless, God has looked for fruits of repentance and not found any. A sign that his patience is justified, but now he's wanting to enact the judgment, demanding that the people the fig trees be dug up so that there might be room in the vineyard for other trees that might bear fruit. Isn't this something to hear from God? We know Jesus to be the good shepherd, right? He won't let one lamb go astray, yet we get the sense here that if a stubborn people won't bear fruit, he'll move on with others that will. I can tell you, I can relate to this, can you? How many phone calls do I have to make? How many silver platter invitations does it, does it take to win someone back to Christ or the life of the church? Sometimes once does the job. But man, after four or five times, you know, you reach the point where you feel you just got to move on. I know you've called me here to admonish the erring, seek the wayward and all that. I mean, it's, I know it's in my call document somewhere. But man, it's like with some people, you just have to move on and pray that God would find other people out there that would hear and respond to faith and participate in the journey to the last day. I don't know if it's right to say this, but I think I know how God feels about this. At least from these verses. I could be wrong, though. At any rate, in this parable, the clearing of the ground for others may be the pointing to the bringing of the Gentiles into Israel. You know, there are all these people of Israel, all these fig trees taking up the vineyard. Not all of them are bearing fruit, so what does God, the owner of the vineyard, want to do? wants to cut them out. He wants to chop the dead ones out to make room for the replanting of ones that might bear fruit. But see, Jesus, the vine dresser, intercedes for those barren trees and asks the owner to wait a little while longer. The vine dresser must act to save the tree at the same time the tree must respond to those acts or they are of no avail. All who are alive, Jews and Gentiles, now have time to see and hear that God's judgment falls on Jesus at Calvary. And that is the basis for hope for all of us. Likewise, 
Jesus tells this parable, so that any and all who hear it come to, come to understand that we, as, as the church, as the body of Christ, are also the vine dressers of the vineyard. This is the apostolic mission that Christ has given his church. Anyone who tells someone the good news of Jesus Christ, what he's done for them and what he's promised to do, and warns them about sin in, this, in their generation, and not only that, but prayerfully intercedes for that person, or for those who seem to be lost and destined to hell, are carrying out the role as the vine dresser. That's you and me, folks. We are living out this parable of Jesus. That's what I want to talk to you more about tonight later. Only the good news of Jesus Christ has the power to bring forth fruits of repentance. I can't do that with you. I can't explain it to you in a way to make fruits come out or you know, to make you want to be more fruitful. Only the power of the gospel has, can do that. For those who remain fruitless from the time of Jesus' ascension to, to the day he returns, the time of judgment will come. Many judgments or foreshadowings have already come as warnings. The Romans destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and sacked the city 70 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So again, it's not like God keeps this stuff a secret. He gave them signs. Hey, you know, there were some in Jerusalem that don't bear fruit. So he cut some down, cut the temple down, cut the people down, and in their enslavement to, uh, to Babylon and, and so forth, in hopes that others would see and hear and wake up. So if this warning applies to Israel, the original tree in God's vineyard, how much more should Jesus' words be taken to heart now by the church? particularly the Gentile Christians who have been transplanted in at the expense of others. Ultimately, with this reading today, we don't get a treatise from God on the age-old debate about individual sin and individual punishment. You know, those people that came up to Jesus and asked them, you know, did those people that got killed by Pilate and those people who that tower fell on, are they worse sinners than the rest of us? No, Jesus says. Don't get caught up in that. We all could have a tower fall on us at any minute. We all could be slaughtered like lambs. So believe. Repent and believe. Be ready for that day. Rather, Jesus speaks to us about sin and judgment in terms of all humankind and tells this parable of the fig tree so that you and I would understand God's mercy and His patient, patient love. Jesus calls everyone to repentance and shows God's merciful forbearance during this critical time when all kinds of disasters and evil stuff happen. He does not want any tree to go to waste because anyone who does not repent will be lost and die. Forgiveness for anyone and everyone, regardless of sin or the types of sin or the amount of sin or the severity of it, is there for the receiving. 
The good news about Jesus offers comfort and hope even when God's justice remains hidden in a world of sin, suffering, and death. So we have to take a look at this critical time, folks, and see that the judgment is coming. Maybe sooner than we think or believe it will, and flee to repentance. Thank God we did that this morning in our service, right? Flee to the cross of Christ and rest on the assurance of forgiveness that it gives. We have to view shootings and massacres and accidents and disasters from the perspective of the cross. Forgiveness and life that lasts forever is present in the one who went to the cross to die for you and me. It's at the cross where we suffering Christians meet the suffering Christ and see in his sufferings our own comfort, peace, and redemption. We see ours as a life not gone to waste, but a life loved and valued beyond compare by our God. May it be so for you. Amen.